Welcome to The Lamb and the Scroll, where we unpack scripture using the rich tradition of the church. I'm your host, John Brayer, and in this episode, we will be digging into Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall. As I mentioned in the intro, we'll be exploring Genesis chapter 3 today. So before we get into the episode, I would recommend that you pause, open up a Bible, and check out Genesis chapter 3. All right, last week we took a look at Genesis chapter 1 and explored some of the truth revealed in this text about our creation, that God created everything. He was, uh, he did this out of love. Humanity formed the highlight or the peak or the climax of creation. And this week we get to the story where all that comes crashing down. So I'd like to start by pointing you to verse 6 of chapter 3, and I'll read that for you. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes. And the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. Now keep in mind, God has just told the man and the woman in chapter 2 not to eat from this tree. But what we see here is that there is something good about this tree. And that makes sense because in Genesis 1, we read that everything God created was good. Now if you look closely at this verse, at verse 6, you'll notice that some of these same temptations that the woman will start to feel are the temptations that Jesus will experience in the desert. They're the same temptations that you and I experience on a daily basis. They're temptations of power, of pleasure, things that look good, pleasing to the eyes. They're good for food, desirable for gaining wisdom. There are a lot of good qualities about this tree. And this brings us to a good point of reflection, which is that evil is the absence of good. That's the language of St. Augustine, who argued it's the privation of good or the lack of good. When God created, he created things that are good. It's our misdirected desires that take these good things and use them for the wrong purpose. That's what sin really is. And so that's what we start to see Adam and Eve grappling with here. They're grappling with this temptation. There's something good about the tree, but that goodness they quickly twist. Now, ultimately, we'll have a great model in Jesus of how to overcome this temptation. And we'll get there when we look at Jesus' own temptation in the desert. Again, some of these same themes will continue to be echoed in the temptations that he will face and the temptations that we face. Now we know the story well. Of course, the man and woman disobey God's command. They eat this fruit from the tree. Now on one level, this is a sin of disobedience. But I think more generally, this gives us a picture for what sin looks like. And here's why. In verse 5, when the snake was tempting the woman, he told the woman, God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, key line coming up, and you will be like gods who know good and evil. When we sin, that's what we do. We say, hey God, I know you've said this is not a good thing for me to do, but nonetheless, I'm going to do it anyway. I know right from wrong better than you do. That's what sin is. As I was pondering Genesis chapter 3, I was reminded of one of my favorite scenes from the movie Rudy, which is the story of a young man who strives to play football at the University of Notre Dame, and he struggles to get into the school finally gets into the school, struggles to make the team, finally makes the team, struggles to get on the field, and finally gets on the field. But there's a scene in which he is found in the cathedral at the University of Notre Dame, kind of in dire straits, and he's talking with a priest named Father Kavanaugh, and essentially he's saying, Father, what else do I need to do? And this is how Father Kavanaugh responds. Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. Now, I love that response, and I think it's perfectly relevant here. When we sin, 
we deny that second portion of what Father Kavanaugh said. We say, God, I know better than you do. Or in the serpent's language or the snake's language, we will be like gods. We are like gods. When we sin, we tell God we know good from evil better than he does. Now, you know just as well as I do that when we take action, there are typically consequences, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And of course, this story, chapter 3, continues to unfold those consequences. There's one line in this story that I don't think gets quite enough attention, at least in popular circles. So I wanted to focus the rest of this episode on verse 15 from chapter 3. So I'll start by reading it to you. Now, first, just a little bit of context. In this verse, God is speaking to the serpent, the snake, after the disobedient act had been committed. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. This verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is frequently referred to as the Proto-Evangelium. Proto for first, Evangelium referring to gospel or good news. This is the first clear instance of the good news being proclaimed. And so we think of the first gospel, you should think of Matthew, but in all reality, this first gospel message we find here in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, where God is proclaiming he's going to send a savior to correct all this wrong. God's salvific plan, remember our biblical theme, is not going to be derailed by humans and our sin. So let's dig into this a little bit. God is, of course, talking directly to the serpent, but hopefully we can see that those are great symbols or biblical types, as we might call them, of characters to come. The serpent, of course, representing Satan and the woman representing Mary, the new Eve. And so when God refers to the enmity or hatred between the snake and the woman, he's referring to that hatred or that tension between good and evil, between Christ and the tempter, the devil, between the offspring of the devil, sin, evil, hatred, and the offspring of the woman, humanity, the followers of Christ. What we find in this verse, especially at the end, is a promise that Christ, the offspring of the woman, will be striking a death blow to the head of the serpent or the devil. In the translation I just read you, the second part of the verse reads this way, they will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. However, some older translations use the word she or the feminine pronouns here. Instead saying, she will strike at your head while you strike at her heel. This is why frequently you'll see statues of Mary stepping on a snake. The Proto-Evangelium, verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, is put into artwork in this way. Other translations insert the male pronoun, and there's a long history of why that's the case, why these different pronouns were used. But it's insightful when we read the male pronoun. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. I think regardless of how you read this, whether it's they whether it's he, whether it's she, we're getting at the idea that the offspring of the woman, the man, Jesus, of course, is going to be the one to deal the death blow to the serpent, to Satan. We've already got that promise here in Genesis chapter 3, the same chapter in which we see the fall. To me, this is a perfect reminder of God's salvific plan. We're going to make mistakes. We see that clearly here in Genesis 3. We're tempted, we sin, But God still calls us consistently back into relationship. He promises he'll send the Savior. We get that first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium, here in chapter 3. And again, what is it foreshadowing? But Christ, the Messiah, the awaited one. One of my favorite images in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, is towards the beginning of the movie when Jesus is praying in the agony of the garden. 
And we see a snake approach Jesus as he's praying. As Jesus concludes his prayer, he stamps on the head of the snake. And the alert viewer will be reminded of the garden long ago in which the fall took place. Jesus, the new Adam, corrects the sin of Adam. We're told that's going to happen here in Genesis 3, and it unfolds exactly that way in the gospel story. But as we see, this sin has lasting consequences for humanity. So, how can we sum up Genesis chapter 3? I'll give you three short sentences. One, Adam and Eve disobeyed. Two, consequences resulted. Three, God promised salvation. Despite all this, we still see that sin impacts generations to come. And so, as the story of the Old Testament continues to progress, we will see that people still have to struggle to stay in right relationship with God. But God, the loving Father that he is, constantly calls us back. He constantly promises salvation. This leads me right to the next episode, which will be all about covenants. What are they? Why are they important? And what covenants do we find in the Bible? That's all for now, and I hope you join me next time.